Hello, friends. I want to start out by making you really uncomfortable. So please go ahead. For those of you who are brave enough, I would love to know what's the most out of place you've ever felt. Now, if it's too painful, don't worry. You don't have to just put everything out there. But we've all felt awkward and out of place. I'll never forget uh, the first time, uh, the first day of my internship in Manila, Philippines. I had prided myself up to that point of my life of not looking like a tourist. I could go to another city if uh, I went on a if I went on a school trip to Washington D.C. or New York or something like that. You know the basics: don't wear bright colors, don't wear a fanny pack, that that sort of things. But on my first day of my internship, my supervisor looked at me and said, "I want you to get comfortable moving around the city. Here's my cell phone. Get lost and don't call me." until you're lost. And I started walking around Metro Manila and I stuck out. <laughs> I was a five foot 10 guy that looks like I look. And people were staring. I actually had one guy come up to me and ask me, are you lost? Because I clearly didn't belong there. And I, I said, no, not yet, but I'm trying to get lost. And then he looked at me like there was something wrong with me and walked away. But Today, we are starting out on a journey of going through the letter of 1 Peter, and it is written to a bunch of people that feel awkward and out of place and just like exiles, and actually calls them exiles. People who were living in their, their hometown, but they were starting to feel like foreigners in their own villages and in their own town. So welcome to the book of 1 Peter. And over the, the past few weeks and months, I've been sprinkling in this way of life that's following Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus and how we do that. And there, that theme runs through this entire letter. It's packed in here of how do we follow Jesus when we don't feel quite at home in our own home. So I want to start off in, uh, in just the, the, first, uh, the first verse here. It goes like this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So a quick word about letters. We're going to set up that we'll, we'll, we'll use this week to build on the weeks that are going to follow. When you're reading a letter like this in the New Testament, it's like hearing one side of a phone conversation. So we need to do a little bit of work to orient ourselves and figure out what's going on. So a little bit of background about the original recipients and, and, a, and a word about the author. As a refresher, this is Peter writing, the apostle who was born with a foot-shaped mouth. I mean, this is an action guy. He was in Jesus's inner circle. And this is the one who the Holy Spirit spoke to and said, this Jesus isn't just a great teacher. He's not just, he's not just a, a powerful speaker or someone who can do miracles. The Holy Spirit told Peter, this is the chosen one, the Messiah. This is the same Peter who in Acts 10 got this vision from God about how 
the mission of God is not just to be for the children of Israel or the Jewish people, but it was going to include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And after Acts chapter 10, Peter takes a little bit of a back seat, and mostly what we know of him is from church tradition. And yes, he did minister in Israel for a while, but we know that he moved to Rome, the heart of the empire, until uh, the 60s uh, AD, until he was, he was killed there in Rome. So, uh, and we can see uh, that, that he was there in the same book. He, he writes, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, did you catch that? Babylon, he was used, that was a code for the word Rome. And that's throughout, throughout history. This vision of Babylon uh, is, is used synonymously with the empires that were ruling throughout the history of the Jewish people. And now Peter is saying, Rome isn't just Rome. Rome is the new Babylon. And he will encourage us that even though Rome, and even today, we can look back at Rome and see the tremendous mark it made on humanity, on culture, even on geography. There's roads that are thousands of years old, and it seems so glorious. And he's writing to these people saying, okay, this Rome that seems so powerful and, and wonderful, be careful, don't fall for all of it. It may seem shiny on the surface, but we've got to see through this. And we can't just fall at its feet to do business or to have relationships or to, to, to just go along, to get along. And this is a regular theme in Peter. It's a regular theme in the book of Revelation. And, and this theme that I've been talking about, about seeing through empire, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, this, the Tower of Babel. This represents a city that tries to build itself up, pull itself up by the bootstraps and, and bring the gods with a little g down to their own terms. Egyptian, Babylonian empire. God wants us to see through that stuff. It's not about the way they say the world works. God has a much different reality. So when we see a glorious empire, we're to see past the surface and to not go along with the idolatry, the injustice, the corruption, the violence. And Peter here is wanting the original readers to change their perspective. So the original readers, he was writing from Rome to these people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Where is all that, Mike? Well, basically, it's all over modern-day Turkey. You could put those provinces, and they kind of make a circle around Turkey. Some of them were small towns. Some of them were like major mega cities for the ancient world. But they were a melting pot of worship. If you would go to any of these places that Peter's writing to, You'd see temples everywhere. And it's a long story, but in these places, there would also be temples, in some cities, two temples to Caesar. This is where Caesar worship started, and there was Rome worship everywhere, because this province had chosen the wrong side years and years before. 
And they were still decades and years and years later making up, kind of saying, we're Romans, we're Romans. Look, look, we even worship Caesar. We worship Rome. See, we're good Romans. Don't destroy us. And so you can imagine how when the message comes to this province of Asia, of of the message of saying, there is a king of kings and a lord of lords, a title also used for Caesar. And his name isn't Caesar, it's Jesus. Can you imagine how that might make a few waves? When Peter comes through and says, everything must bow to Jesus. Can you imagine living in a town where the line everyone's got a toe is that, that Caesar is our Prince of Peace, that Caesar is our Lord and Savior. And then here comes, here comes the message of Jesus saying, no, 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 every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Try to think back, how might that cost you if you were living back then? There would be economic ramifications if you were a business person, there would be social, relational ramifications in your relationships. And, and it was beginning to threaten the believers in this area in their physical safety. So how does that work for us? I mean, even we're only a couple verses in <laughs> saying that uh, who our identity is. This has ramifications for us. I was thinking of uh, when I used to play, I had a, a, a very bright flash in the pan career as a high school football player. And it was pretty amazing. But I remember before the games, they would bring the color guard out and they, they would play this music. And then when it was time for everyone to, to put their hand over their heart and pledge allegiance to the flag, all the other flags would lower. So the American flag was the highest. So Peter was saying, Hey, at the flag of Jesus, you guys, make sure you lower the flag of reputation. You lower the flag of career. You lower the flag of your personal preference. Even nations have to lower their flag to the flag of Jesus. For today, that calls me and challenges me. And the invitation here is for you to accept the challenge, to give your supreme allegiance to Jesus in every area, even in a culture that rejects you. Why? Why is that? It's because believers have been given a new identity in Jesus. We're called, and I paraphrase it, God's special treasure. Later on, Peter's gonna say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that we can declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So right off the bat, the question is, what flags in your life need to lower so Jesus can be your king? What happens inside of you when you find yourself out of place. Because if Jesus is going to be king in every area of our life, and we're not laughing at that inappropriate joke at the office, or we're taking a Sabbath because we, we don't buy into this myth that we have to work every day. I mean, those, those moments, they can be jarring. Maybe some of you feel that way today as you look at the world around you. So what does Peter say to people back then that felt that way? and by extension to us today. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to God's elect exiles. If you're, if you're following along with a paper Bible, I wanna dare you to circle that word elect exiles. And if you're reading from the New International Translation like I am, there's a comma there. There's not a comma there in the original, in the original text. These, these words are connected. Elect exiles. So when you're anxious about following Jesus, it's causing some tension in your life. You're tempted to cut corners because the culture says, do whatever it takes to get ahead. Hey, remember that you are, you're not like everybody else and you're actually elected, you are chosen to live differently. Maybe you don't know where to turn and things are heating up because you've said yes to, to, to Jesus. Peter's saying, hey, don't forget that you are an elect exile. Or uh, another way to say it is specially chosen or your special aliens. That's for all of you Star Trek fans. You're resident aliens in this world. For those of you who've lived overseas, maybe you've been an expatriate and you're not in the, the tourist zone. Like you have to live there. That's the experience of an exile. You're, you're not just there to visit, you're there to live, but you belong to another place. It's the kind of thing where if, if you live in a different country and this is your home and maybe you've lived there for years, but maybe the Olympics come around or the World Cup and you're singing someone else's national anthem because that's where you belong to. That's the tension we live in as Jesus followers. We are totally engaged in where we're at and we're working for the betterment of the community. We're gonna be good citizens and all of those wonderful things, but we wind up being different. So do you know, Solid Ground Church, do you know that you're exiles? How does that change your thinking about how you interact with your neighbors? How does that change your thinking with, with how much effort you put to get ahead by the standards that our culture tells us we have to do to get ahead. Do you know that your citizenship lies elsewhere? Bible scholar Karen Job says, First Peter challenges Christians to re-examine our acceptance of society's norms and to be willing to suffer alienation of our being a visiting foreigner in our own culture where its values conflict with those of Christ. When I read that, I'll be completely honest with you, when I came across the part where it says, uh, when, when it conflicts with society's norms, I thought, that's right, those people don't get it. And then I got convicted, because that quote is for us to hold up to ourselves. It's not for us to apply that standard to other people. And our invitation, is, and Peter would invite us to hold that mirror up to ourselves. Where, where are we going along? Don't put it in the comments. This is just personal for you. Where are you going along with society's norms? Are you going along to get along? Don't wanna make waves, just wanna fit in? Are you, are you going along to get ahead? Because, oh, it's just this one time. But when, when we've experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives. There's this change and this call that says, hey, you will suffer the tension and the pain and the awkwardness of not always fitting in. 
And Peter's going to say in this, in this letter, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeals that are coming your way. It's going to take courage to follow Jesus. It's gonna take grit to follow Jesus and, and a toughness, but it's a courage and a grit and a toughness that doesn't come from the inside. It comes when we surrender our reputation, when we surrender our comfort to Jesus. But there's another side of this coin because please do not hear me saying, if you're going through a tough time, well, just suck it up and get on with it because someday it'll get better. There's another side, there will be suffering, but the other side of the coin is that we're chosen. You are chosen by God to be called out and selected. And Peter reminds, will remind us of this over and over in this letter. Edmund Clowney says, you are not choice people, you are chosen people. Do you know the difference? I came across that quote. And I had to think about it for a while. You are not choice people, you are chosen people. Choice people, that means first class. Choice people means you have the right last name. Choice people means you have the right size bank account or you come from the correct side of the tracks or the right zip code. No, when we live in the language of trying to be choice people, that's a dangerous game. That means you're connecting your value and your esteem and your honor and the beauty of yourself to what you do. That's a roller coaster. When you're, that means when you're performing well, you feel great. And when you have an off day, you're down in the dumps. It's so much better to live as a chosen person, as a chosen people. Uh, marriage is a great example. When you give your, your, your vows, you say, there's no one else like you. You may not be a choice person, but I choose you. There's no one else like you. And here's the thing. Your security in being chosen is only as strong as the person choosing you. Can you trust the integrity of the person choosing you? To Peter, it says, this is a safe place. Because he says, we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. We are chosen by the Trinity. Our security of chosenness is only as powerful as the God who created the whole entire universe. That's a pretty secure promise. It's as strong as the Trinity itself. Question, another question for you. Have you made the jump from choice to chosen? Have you made that leap in your efforts? Is that where your security comes from? Whether you're, you're in your efforts to be a choice person or does your security come from saying, God chose me? The whole Bible makes statements about this. Even in the book of Genesis, it shows on, depending on your Bible, it's page two, Genesis two. Like, okay, it, it's, it lays the groundwork that we're not choice people. We barely make it into chapter three. I think it's like six verses until human beings mess it up and we wound up in exile, just like the recipients of 1 Peter. And scripture builds on this over and over. None of us are choice people, but thank God we are chosen. That's the plan of God the Father. 
That's, that's the Holy Spirit working inside of us, making, more, making us more like Jesus so that we can be marked out as holy, as set aside for God's purposes so that we can be empowered to obey Jesus Christ. And thank goodness we're cleansed by the sprinkling of Jesus's blood. And I love the fact that Jesus actually became the outcast for us. Even though we weren't choice people, Jesus became the unchoice person for us, died in our place, and that sets us free. So here's our challenge. I want you to think about your identity. Think about your identity this week, because it's something we don't graduate from. Yeah, yeah, Mike, I know we're chosen. I know God says good things about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> we can't move away from this. It can become unfamiliar to us so easily if it just becomes one of those things that it's not a check mark that we just, okay, got it, moving on. The God that created this whole ordered universe chose us to belong to him. He's got us. So I want to challenge you to read 1 Peter verses 1 and 2 slowly, maybe five or six times a day. It's not just to read for content, but let this verse read you. Think about any words or phrases that jump out off the page to you. And I want you to pray after that. After a couple of minutes, just slowly pray that you would embrace your God-given identity. And that God would, would show you, would open your eyes how to live as a resident alien in this time that we live in, in this world that we live in. Because my hunch is, if we're not grounded first and foremost in who Jesus says you and I are, we're going to be tossed all over the place in the coming years, coming months, coming decades. This is of extreme importance to all of us to ground ourselves in the identity that, that we are God's chosen exiles. This isn't our home. This isn't forever. And we can live, God can give us the power to live differently now. So let me pray for you, please, before we, before we end our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, will you open our eyes? God, I pray that for those, those who are facing a tough time right now, they feel like they're the odd one out because they're following you. Lord, by the power of your spirit, will you please refresh them? Will you please infuse them with the joy that you promised? May they know they are in good company if they're suffering for your name, as they're facing even the curveballs that life has thrown at them. Lord Jesus, remind them of who they are. May they hear you calling out to them and calling them son, calling them daughter. Lord Jesus, and would you please open our ears to your voice so we can know how to navigate through this world as citizens of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining us this week. Please reach out to us at sgbic.com or send us a comment. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know your thoughts about this. Let us know how God is sustaining you in your journey of following the way of Jesus. And uh, until we're together again uh, very soon, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. 
in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.